This is a pretty special episode of Backup Central's Restore It All. Today marks my 30-year anniversary of being in the backup industry. So I thought I would turn the tables a bit, let Prasanna be the host today and interview me. Honestly, I had no idea what he was going to ask. He asked some really good questions. So thanks for the fun, and I hope you enjoy the episode. You could restore it all And rescue me from pain You had my fallen You Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, Persona Maliandi. And with me, I have my lovely guest who is all scratched up and looks like he was in a bar fight, <laughs> Curtis I Preston. I do. For those watching on the video on BackupCentral.com, you can see my arm, my hand. There's my hand. <laughs> um, yeah, I was in a bar fight yesterday. Bar fight with a, with a set of stairs as of five minutes ago. I have, I'm at about 90% of cleaning my wood shop out of all of the various little pieces of scraps. And by the way, when you use power tools on vinyl flooring, it just splinters everywhere. Oh my God. It's just, it's not like, it's not like dust. It's like, I don't know how, what to call it. I mean, it's dust, but it's like pixelated dust. So it's, it's just very bulky. Right, it doesn't lay on the floor like dust. Without even sweeping it up, it creates giant piles uh, very quickly, <laughs> and that's what I'm in the process of trying to rid my my shop of is is uh, that. Anyway, but you're but you're you're leading the show today. So what? Are, why why what? why is that? that? So today is I don't know, Curtis. Let's see. Has it been? Let's see. We've known each other for a while, and we yeah. always talk about how. You've been in the space forever. And I do mean forever. forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> but today, right? I, I think it's for, a big a, day. for a while now, I've been saying coming up on 30 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's no longer the 15 or 20 plus years in the industry, right? It's now right. 30, the big 3 0. 30 years. Uh, yeah. By the time. So, this so how does it make publishes, that feel? Uh, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm old. What can I say? Yeah, go ahead. Now, aren't you glad, though, you're not sitting there still like swapping out tapes like you used to do in your first job? Oh, dude. Well, except for that time when I got paid a ridiculous amount of money to swap tapes. Yes. Right. Yeah. You know, we've told that story a couple times where I once got paid $10,000 to load up a tape library. <laughs> this is a great take the money tape swapping moment. Yeah. Take the money and run. <laughs> you know what? I bet though today what you would end up doing is you take the ten thousand dollars and then you'd go spend like five hundred dollars hiring some college kids to basically do you know what? For you. <laughs> that outsourcing, outsourcing, right? Well, I don't know. I'm, you know, as we've discussed on the podcast, I'm kind of a DIYer. That's so true. I would probably still I would I I would want to keep that five hundred like dollars. <laughs> What's that? But something tedious like that though? Would you really? Oh, it was so tedious. It took <laughs> the reason why it was so it was so much money. It was because I was in there. Um, by the way, that money came from Amazon.com, not a sponsor. Um, I was in Amazon putting in their first enterprise-wide backup system. This was 1998. And my bill rate as a backup expert was 250 bucks an hour. And it took, it took me a week to do that. To, they basically, they bought this big tape library. They bought all these tapes to go with it. And, um, and it took me a week to unpack and label the, I was going to say you, know, you had to label was the one that took a while. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You had to, it, I had to go print labels, right? I had to get labels. I had to pull the little sticker off and then I had to put them on and, and they got to be on just so, you know, or it doesn't work. And you know what, what I did, what I always say at the end of the story, because <clears throat> I've told this story a few times is at the end, what Amazon got uh, as advice was, Hey, 
just so you know, they sell these with the barcodes already on them <laughs> for, the, for the future. Uh, by the way, Batman by the way, this hits. was this was before Amazon sold stuff, right? So I, we didn't buy the tapes from Amazon. Uh, we would we would have paid retail back in the day. Did you buy it from what, Fry's what? Electronics? Uh, no, I don't think so. We were in we were in Seattle. Okay. Who would you have bought tapes from back then? What CDW maybe? CDW outpost.com. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't know. Like, I can't remember the world before Amazon, you know? Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that. I was driving down the uh, Stevens Creek by my house the other day, and there is actually still a mom-and-pop computer store that still exists that I remember going to to buy parts for my first PC a couple decades ago, more than a couple decades ago. Yeah. Still in the same um, location. I don't know what they sell these days. I don't know how they stay in business, but the thing I think would be interesting to our listeners is as you've gone through all these changes, right, or seen all these changes, how did you keep up with the change in technology and not feel sort of like a dinosaur, right, that you're about to become obsoleted? Right. And how do you sort of like it is a big shift, though, right? Moving from one technology to another as new things are coming up. And sometimes people feel like I don't know how to make that leap into that new technology, into the next thing. What can they do to sort of help them with that transition? Okay, so let's go way back in the day. So I know everyone's heard the the stories about you working at a bank. Right. Bank. 1993. Yep. The year was 1993. My <laughs> oldest daughter, the singer of the uh, theme song theme for song. this podcast, is negative one years old. She's but a glimmer in my eye at that moment. <laughs> I was fresh out of the Navy, right? <clears throat> Had little to no experience with computers. And I um, leveraged my wife. Uh, to get my first job in backups, right? It, you know, it's, yeah. I, I often say that, like, um, that the career up until up until the point that I wrote the book, the first book, which was in '99, my career was complete happenstance. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, so I was I was in Delaware because the Navy took me to Philadelphia. Right, the Na- I was in the Navy on on the USS Constellation. May she rest in peace. Um, she went from from San Diego to Philadelphia to go into dry dock, and so I was in the Navy, uh, getting out of the Navy. Uh, right now, thirty years ago, I would have been on what we call terminal leave, which is mm-hmm. you get basically you get you take all your saved up leave and then you leave. You, you just don't come Early, back to the ship. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you just get paid for your, all your vacation and you leave. I was a fresh graduate of the National Radio Institute of America. <laughs> right. I took one of those correspondence courses that you saw in the back of um, a magazine. What was that? Pop, pop, Popular Science? Is that, was, is that the name of the magazine? Yeah. I think it was called Popular Science. And you'd have this ad like build your own computer and... <laughs> I took that because it was a correspondence course and I could take it out to sea. Yeah. And um, so I did that. I built a 286 computer and that was all, I, th- I think it was DOS. I think it was a DOS computer. Right? Yep. Um, and uh, that was the limit of my experience. And then I got the job as the backup guy and I had to, I mean, I had to bone up really quickly on Unix. Uh, it was all Unix back then, right? It was um, uh, AT&T System 5 3B2s. Uh, and we had seven Ultrix machine, DEC, digital, digital, mm-hmm. remember Digital yep. Equipment Corporation, aka DEC, seven Ultrix machines and like seven uh, 3B2s. And that was the entire computing environment when I came in, which is amazing to think about that for a $35 billion company, right? They, they had a mainframe that there was that world. And then there was this handful of Unix computers, which exploded the day after I got there. Yeah. 
Um, you know what's funny is your phone probably has more computing power than all those systems combined. Well, I know it has more storage capacity than my <laughs> entire data center did. <laughs> or at least it has roughly. I think I have a 256 gigabyte iPhone and we had 300 gigabytes of storage space. Isn't that crazy to think about that in the last 30 years, right? That's just By the way, dog. that was 300 gigabytes at the end of my time. When we got there, we would have had nothing, right? Because mm. the each Ultrix machine had its own 8 millimeter, which those back then, those were a gigabyte or two. Like they, they weren't very big. And... um the three V2s, they only had quick 80, which was 80 megabytes. That was a tape drive. And then we had the we had one eight millimeter tape drive that we shared amongst them, right? Mm -hmm. Which was which was RFS mounted. We've talked about that before, that it was like yep. NFS, it was a pred predecessor to NFS, but you could mount devices. And so we would RFS mount, you know, the tape drive. We had seven machines, seven days a week. We would do a rotating full one day a week on each different machine. And, um, then, um, and then we would, you know, and then we do an incremental every day on those little quick eighties, but yeah, so that whole, that whole thing, when I got there, that was 20 gigabytes, <laughs> the whole data center. <laughs> it was by the time I was done that it was like 300 we bought and like literally the last few months we bought a new machine, which was an HP T 500. I remember that which was, a, it was a monster and it was a hundred gigabytes <laughs> all on one server. You're probably thinking, oh my God, how do I back this thing up? Well, it's exactly what I said. I was like, it came, it came with a DAT drive, right? That was like four gigabytes. I was like, okay, so that's 25 tape changes to do a full. So I basically, so, th so that machine was, I guess it wasn't in the last few months. I guess it was in the last year or so because that machine was what allowed me to justify the purchase of my first Spectrologic uh, mm. tape libraries. That's how I first came to know Molly um, and, you know, and, our, and the fine folks over at Spectrologic, not a sponsor, that, um, you know, that, uh, that, that also came as a guest on the podcast. But yeah, it, that's what I used. You know, you talk about changes in technology and how yeah. do I, how did I adapt? It was kind of the whole like necessity is the mother of invention, right? <laughs> necessity is also the mother of adaptation. Yeah. Um, and so I will, I'll tell you that as I adapted, I know I wanted, as we were going to this, this concept of a centralized area where all the tape would be, because we had a tape library. And by that, I meant we had a room where tapes went, right? Mm -hmm. We had in those, we had channel attached nine track tape drives. If you don't know what that looks like, they're the old ass things that you see in movies from the 50s. Yeah. Those big giant, they're, they're refrigerator the size. Reels. They're bigger. Yes. They're, yeah, it's a reel to reel. They're bigger than a refrigerator. Um, and we had three or four of those in there and we had a bunch of right line cabinets. Do you know what right line is? Mm -hmm. They're, they're, um, you know, a very high end, um, cabinet, but okay. like metal cabinet maker. And they have like, they have these like moving cabinets. Mm. So like you can, you, you can fit a lot in square, square space. Well, that's what we had. And I wanted to put all of the. The, the the spectra tape libraries i don't remember what the the brand was but they were they were like a few u high mm -hmm. and then they you know they fit in a rack and you know the deep rack and then they yep. were like a few u high and i needed i eventually needed like 10 or 12 of them mm. and i wanted to put them all in one space so they're all together know, and secure yeah. I wanted data yep. security, right? I didn't like this idea of tapes that were just floating all over the place, which is what, that's what we did it back then. The tapes just hanging out, right? Literally yeah. sitting on the top of the server. On desk or, um, yeah. What's that? Or on a yeah, desk on, or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so we wanted to put it across the, across, I said across the street, literally across the hall, but that was like 50, 75 feet away from the servers, maybe a hundred feet in the wrong place. And all we had was SCSI. Oh no. Right. By the way, SCSI two, mind you, Mm -hmm. which we began to call slow and skinny SCSI because (laughs) it came out with fast wide SCSI. And so all we had was slow and skinny SCSI. They had fast wide SCSI that could go that far, but my servers didn't have fast wide SCSI. They had SCSI two. And so we bought these boxes from a company called Paralan. The fact that I, still remember that is yeah. crazy, but that was the name of the company. And basically they were SCSI two to SCSI fast wide, ultra SCSI adapters. Adapters. And we had one, we had one on each end. <laughs> so we, we, we'd up rev to ultra wide SCSI, have a hundred foot long over. cable <laughs> and then down rev. Right. And Spectrologic was like, Hey man, if this don't work, this ain't our fault. Right. And they're like, if we, if you ever prop, if you ever have a problem with the tape library because of those boxes, you're going to have, we're going to ask you to bring that tape library back across the hall, plug yep. it in with a regular SCSI two cable. You know what? Make sure Never happened. Never <laughs> happened. Those Paraland boxes were rock solid. That's right? a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's all, that's old electrical signal stuff. That's not fiber. Yeah. Right. That's, that stuff's, clunky right those things were perfect <laughs> never once did i have to crawl under the floor to disconnect a paraland box replace a paraland box troubleshoot it never once those things were perfect right and so we just adapted over time right and, and of course also in this before the tape library thing happened was when my first shell script broke uh mm. we talked about this on a podcast i think just last week yeah where I started out with shell scripts and I didn't think I could get budget for, you know, a a commercial solution. And, um, I remember going to my boss, Susan Davidson, shout out to her. She, she's out there somewhere. And, um, she, um, I just said, listen, I can't, I can't keep up that by the way, that's a key. That was a key is being okay to say, I can't do it. Right. I can no longer yeah. keep up with what's happening. I'm getting too scared. We're going to lose data and it's yeah. going to be my fault. Yep. And she's like, well, aren't there like, isn't there like software you can buy? And I'm like, I can spend money. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember that my very first, and the company was a company called Software Moguls. The product was called SMARC. And on that shelf behind me, while well, you can't see it, on that shelf behind me, is a DD that is SMR from back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I got that. Uh, so I was able to buy that. I remember that it was $16,000. Just remember that my first purchase of a purchase. piece of backup software like that was $16,000. Um, and the competing solutions were like quarter million dollars. Like Bud Tool is like a quarter million dollars. Um, because we wanted to use tape tape drives in each server mm-hmm. basically we, we we had a we had a shitty network and so we didn't want to we, we knew we couldn't do network-based backup right yeah. and so we wanted tape drives on each server and that meant in their words they were media servers and media servers mm-hmm. were a server price versus a client price and that's so how it's more it expensive. became two hundred fifty thousand dollars. i was going to ask you like how you even did vendor selection if you remember back then right and it looks like price was a big aspect of that <laughs> Well, basically we had some, you know, it was like, here are the, here are the OSs we have, right? Mm -hmm. Databases weren't an issue yet, right? Um, Because those you still, nobody had agents for Sybase or whatever, right? Um, That you, you still script, you did a, you either put it in backup mode or you did a dump and sweep or... or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so it's like, Hey, we have Solaris, we have AIX, we have, you know, uh, I think we got rid of the system five systems and we have Ultrix and we have a deck Unix system now. Mm. Um, you know, 
you needed you needed to handle all of those, right? Um, and you need to support local tape drives. So ArcServe yeah. was out. ArcServe was the other big product that was back then. ArcServe, they wanted a centralized backup server mm-hmm. um, and everything over the network. I'm like, look, we have a, we have, we still have thick net under the floor, <laughs> right? We had vampire taps. For those of you that have grown up in a world of of ten base T, um, vampire taps. It was coax cable, and you literally t- screwed. Into the, the cable. <laughs> yep. It's like a saddle tap on a plumbing line, right? Yeah. You just literally pierce the cable. I mean, bits <laughs> are just falling out. All over the floor. So we're like, we're not doing that. So after all this time working on backup, right? Then when yeah. did you start getting like interested in the disaster recovery side of things? Because at the same time, like somewhere in that job, right? You did start to yeah. focus on disaster recovery as well well it was it was a necessity for the job um basically we did a dr test every six months and you know we would put everybody up uh in in the place uh we do it over the weekend because downtime during the week wasn't acceptable (laughs) and then um and we didn't have a sandbox or the cloud or whatever you you had to literally shoot a server in the head (laughs) Right. <laughs> well, I guess not literally. Pull you had to shoot plug. a server in the head figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot of valuable lessons from that back then, right? This idea mm-hmm. of having someone else do it. This idea of having great documentation. Um, mm-hmm. Documentation is, you know, that's easy to follow and easy to update. And just, just that concept of doing regular recovery testing. Um, yeah. We... We didn't have we didn't have to worry about regular recovery testing with files and stuff because we did like ten restores a day. We had like twelve thousand employees who were apparently complete morons because <laughs> because point oh one percent of them every day were was screwing up something and we were having to restore it. So literally like ten restores a day, right? And maybe that's why I got really good at backup because, you know. Of the restore side. I, I, I Simplify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I wonder if it's interesting that today things just kind of work. I wonder what the percentage is that people do restores these days. And maybe that's where doing restore testing becomes really valuable. Because like you were saying, you do 12 a day, you're going to get really good at it, right? It's just sort of like muscle memory. But if you're only doing it once every month or so, right, then you lose touch. And I I make a similar comment about, you know, you kids today. So everybody's on solid state devices these days, right? That stuff just doesn't fail like the stuff we were on back in the day. We were on individual servers. We're running on individual hard drives. No RAID. No RAID. What's RAID? (laughs) We were talking about disaster recovery, right? Oh, yeah. And how you got interested. Yeah, and then we were also talking about how people today don't necessarily have the same type of, like, they're not doing restores all the time because discs no. aren't failing. Things are more reliable. Things are more robust, right? And so you lose touch of those things. I don't think that we were doing DR testing every six months because we were altruistic or amazing or anything. <laughs> It was because we were a bank and the OCC yeah. required it. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's sort of like if you're in the biotech world, you know what validation is. Yep. Uh, validation is a giant pain in the butt. Uh, for those of you that don't know what it is, I'm not even going to bother explaining it. But, you know, and so they're just really good at processes like that. Um, we just had, we just got good at doing testing. Right. Um, and I don't think moving forward in my career, I don't think I ever worked at another company that did DR testing the way Mm. they did or even anywhere near as frequently or yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you've been doing sort of server backups, right? Files. You've been looking at DR and DR testing. 
at some point in your career, you started looking, I'm guessing, at applications and databases. Yeah. Right. And that must have been sort of a completely different <clears throat> world when you first approached it versus what you were doing with server backup and file backup. Yeah. Uh, the biggest one for me at the time was Oracle. And Oracle, once you figured out how to put it into backup mode, Oracle backup was a cinch, right? Uh, if you were good at scripting, if you were good at scripting, nobody had an Oracle agent. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there was no RMAN. There was something before RMAN, but it's it name, its name escaped me. But there, there, there was no RMAN. There, there was just, you had to alter table space, begin backup. By the yeah. way, nowadays, you could just say alter database, begin backup. So much easier. Um, I had to I had to query the database, ask for the names of all the table spaces, then put each table space in backup mode. Um, and then we could do the backup, right? Yeah. That was pretty easy peasy. And then you had to, uh, and we would also do a redo log switch at the end yep. to make sure that we, you know, we had the latest logs and then we'd back them up. Uh, SQL, so, it, SQL server wasn't a thing, right? Yeah. So we had Sybase, which for those who don't know, is the OG SQL server. I was going right? to say, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not a lot of people right? know that. So, yeah, um, SQL Server was originally Sybase, and they were originally going to co-do it, and then, yeah, that didn't work out. Um, but yeah, so Cy there was Sybase. We had Informix. Um, Informix, Informix had a hot backup mode, but it but it created downtime, mm. so you could tell Informix to stop writes because Oracle's hot backup mode, you could continue operating. Yeah, right. Yep. And it would just change how it did redo logs. Informix would literally stop Alt. writes to the database, <laughs> right? And and SQL, we couldn't figure, the only way to do SQL or Sybase back then was a dump and sweep, mm. right? Um, and there was a company, mm, oh, oh, and, <laughs> and Sybase Backup had a feature that if you were doing it to tape, and the tape filled up and you were waiting to swap tapes because it supported the concept of, you know, putting a database on mm -hmm. multiple tapes, the, it would hang the database. Ugh. So if you're doing backups and you were doing backups manually, cause that was the only way to do it. Yeah. If you were doing backups and you forgot to, to notice that the tape was full and then that needed to be swapped out, it would literally hang the database. Like the database Ugh. would just, and there was a company, their name I forgot, but there was a company who solved that problem. Mm. And they became, it's sort of like, um, you know, Veeam. When Veeam first yeah. came out and they were really the first ones going after VMware, they solved a problem no, that nobody else was solving at the time. It was like that, but for, but for Sybase. And they became, and I remember that that company got acquired by uh, CA, but mm. I don't remember their So I, remember their name. I guess... In this transition, though, like going back to the themes of like, what do people need to know? Because even today, right, this probably still applies if you're very heavily focused on virtualization, when you're switching to applications and databases, it's a little bit of a scary world because everything's so different. <clears throat> but like, what are some, I guess, hints or like best practices or tips you can give people? Well, it... <sighs> I think the hardest part is to not put your head in the sand. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so there, there's a, there's, so I'm going to say there's two extremes, right? One is jumping on every single new technology, the moment it comes out and then letting it consume your life, right? <laughs> to figure out, let's say if, if all you care about is backup, uh, which is that's pretty much that was my it's been my job for a long time. That's all I cared about. Well, how do I back this thing up? Mm -hmm. um, there have been so many applications and application like things that have come out since, um, you know, and, and and also I don't know about applications, but use cases. So yeah. you know, first we were just backing up the OS, and then people started saying, "Well, how do you restore a server?" Right. And then we, you know, and then it's like, well, we're going to talk about bare metal recovery and, um, and, um, 
then it was, well, we've got a way to back up databases, but then that wasn't good enough. And so we had to start looking at like agent-based backup. Yep. Um, and then, a, then there was a big swing against agent-based backup. We've talked about that a few times, DBA, yeah. DBA versus agent-based backup. backup. Yep. Then what began like maybe 10 plus years, the only thing that was consuming all my time was the problem of tape, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the um, shoe shining problem. The, the shoe but... shining problem. And the fact that everybody in the world misunderstood tape. Everybody thought the tapes were too slow. In reality, they were too fast. And the fact that they were treating them like they were too slow was making it actually worse. That went yep. on for, for quite a long time, made me a lot of money. Um, and, you know, paid, paid the bills for a while. I'm sure you <clears throat> dove into virtualization, right? Things yep. have to be done yep. differently, right? And so I know on the podcast just the other day, we were just talking about VCB, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and those well, sort of things. The thing, for me personally, I got virtualization. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it just, I was like, this is amazing, <laughs> right? Um, and I also got that it completely broke backups. <laughs> and again, that was another thing where you just like, if you, all you care about is backups, you worked and you figured out <clears throat> before, before, um, then the, there's offered solutions, right. To address. Yes. I was working with customers where it's like, I don't want to go change my whole backup product just because I started mm-hmm. using VMware. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Veeam may be a great product, but I, I don't want to use t- I don't want to use one product for my virtualization and another product for my servers, right? Yep. That and by the way, that has been one of my mantras, right? Is, is simplicity whenever possible. Yep. I'd much rather buy one product that's decent at everything than to buy three products that are great at three things, mm-hmm. right? Um, and especially if you if you can meet your requirements with the one product, I yep. would do that any day of the week. So we were we would do things. It's about adapting, right? Mm-hmm. So we would do things like, well, we we went to monthly full backups instead of weekly full backups. We went to uh, a rolling month schedule so that you were never doing. A, uh, and also with VMware, you had a lot of work to make sure you weren't doing two fulls on the same client. I'm sorry, yeah. a VM that was on the same virtualization server at the same time because that would just kill the box. Yep. We did crazy stuff like that. That was a lot of work, right? But it was easy for me to grok. Yeah. Right. It's like I understand the problem. The solutions are complicated and just a lot of work, but I understand the problem. And then what happened? I was going to say apps and VMs, but apps again, apps were easy to grok, right? Yes. It's like I either I, I basically a new app is relatively easy to handle from a backup perspective. Mm-hmm. You're either going to do a dump and a sweep, you're going to shut it down, or there's going to be an agent. Yeah. Or there's going to be some way like with Oracle to put it in hot backup mode and back it live. It's not, that's not that hard. Yeah. Um, the, but like when you start doing something crazy like the cloud. Yeah. That's when, and then, and we'll, then we'll talk about containers. Yeah. Right. When you start basically saying, you know what, we're not going to have, we're not going to have computers anymore. Yeah. We're not going to have servers. We're going to do this. I remember the first time I heard serverless, I was like, what the hell is that? Yeah. Right. And they're like, well, well, there's this server. Yeah. It's just not serverless always starts with a server. Yeah. What's that? It's just not your server. Yeah. Yeah. It's not your Um, server and you're not managing, right? You're just running code and you're good to go. But I think you're right. right though. It's, even for me, like going from on-premises technology to thinking about the cloud, it's like your mind blows up, right? Just the complexity, all the different cases, <clears throat> but also all the cool things you can now start to do once you're running in the cloud. It's funny when you say that the first thing that happens in my mind is all the cool ways that you can create data that I don't know how we're going to back up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Cause it's cause, so well, let me, let me ask, see because, what you think about this. Most people that go into the cloud, as I make quotes in the air, they're just doing lifting and shifting. 
I would, would you say most people more than would, half? I would say more than half. And I would also yes. say that those early customers who started adopting cloud, very, it was like, 90%. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was 90%. And the other thing is that was all shadow IT back then, right? You didn't have mm. the central IT folks managing the IT right. and the cloud infrastructures. It was a department being like, hey, I got to get this project done. I can't go to IT because it's going to take them a year to procure the budget to go through things. Right. Let me swipe my right. credit card and spin up some resources in the cloud and get going. Going back to your point, right? It's like all those places in the cloud that data may exist. And how do you back yeah. that up? And that's, for me, been my big complaint with the cloud, right? I mean, I, I love the cloud, right? I mean, it's it's so, it's like, you know, how do you hate virtualization, right? You, how do you hate the cloud? I do think it's um, a little oversold, overbought, right? People think, oh, I'm going to go to the cloud because it's cheaper. It, it could be, <laughs> depending on how you use it, but it most likely won't be, Yeah. right? Um, Have you seen the recent article, Botticle? There's a, recently, there was a tweet by the company that sells Basecamp. Uh, and they basically looked at their AWS build, broke it down, compute storage, and then they made a comparison to what if we just ran it on-premises? And right. so that's what they're starting to do now is how can we now shift back to premises because it's cheaper? Yeah, and maybe it is, maybe it, yeah. it depends on how you use depends. the cloud, right? Yep. <clears throat> if you refactor, and you look at each, you know, if you do what Drew, by the way, we didn't do our We did, I was just, yeah. We're going to have to fire the new host. Yeah. <laughs> so since we are talking about the cloud and since Curtis just brought up the name, uh, we both work for different companies. Curtis works for Druva. I work for Zoom. This is not a podcast of either company. The opinions that you hear are our own. Also, if you like what you hear and you want to come join us, please reach out um, at wc preston or w curtis preston at gmail and join in the conversation we love to have guests we're friendly i think uh people Aren't seem we? to want to come back every once in a while but yeah come join in if you think we're totally wrong or you want to provide your thoughts opinions let us know and finally make sure to rate us at rate this podcast.com slash restore wonderful yeah. job Prasanna. <laughs> and leave um, a comment what were we talking about leave some Leave some notes because oh, yeah. Curtis love Curtis and I love to read the comments. So going back, what, we were talking about the cloud about? and how yeah. uh, protecting it and spinning it up, and also about the costs and re, uh, bringing it back. It, yeah. So so for me, the only thing I care ever, okay, literally the only thing I care about is are we getting this on tape? That's that's it's an old phrase that, that right? <laughs> are you know are we backing this stuff up right? And when I look at the typical usage of the cloud, two things bug me. One is most everybody's doing it wrong, right? Mm -hmm. They're just they're just they're just renting VMs is yeah. is all they're doing. And if that's all you're doing, you're doing it wrong. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, the second is that the the other guys, <laughs> okay. <laughs> The other guys are doing it great. They're just, they're using this and they're using the serverless this and the, you know, uh, they're using pass and SAS and IaaS and, um, and they're using things like RDS, DynamoDB, um, where they're creating data. That data is only stored in a server slash app that you do not own and they're not backing it up. And By default, they're they not backing it up. By default, they're not backing it up. Some of the apps by default actually do back up. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was doing some research and I think RDS is one of those where if you're using RDS by default, it would create a snapshot like once a day and that snapshot takes up storage in your account. You pay for it. Um, I, I think that at least that, but by default, even that default is in your account in your yep. region and we know what I think about that, right? Yep. Bad, bad, bad. bad or bad, or, bad, it's, bad. or it's the other thing that everyone 
sort of, and I know we haven't talked about SaaS yet, which is something we should talk about next, right? But a lot of people also think, hey, if I have high availability provided by like AWS S3 or DynamoDB, there's no need for backup. But that's not true. Backup is used for recovering from different types of disasters, right? One of which is sure, a data center goes down or whatever else, but there are other purposes as well, like user corruption, malicious activity, right? All these other things that you need to protect against yeah. that high availability does not give you that. Right. Um, the, uh, yeah, high availability and things like mirroring, it just makes the corruption more efficient. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so that bugs me that, you know, the, the SAS thing bugs me. I talk to people, it's just, it's just, it is the most common misconception that I run into in the common IT world or the current IT world is that backup is part of the SaaS offering. And SaaS offering could be Microsoft 365 or one of these other offerings. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, uh, it so isn't, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, you know, it could be something like GitHub, right? You need to back up your GitHub repositories or, or replicate them or something, right? You need yeah. to just, what happens if GitHub just disappears tomorrow? By the way, that happens. Yep. Right? That absolutely happens. Um and there are storage vendors and cloud vendors that just disappear. I, I think the best one that I have, I don't know if you can remember the name. This is uh, the storage. What? No, not Code that space? one. I was thinking of the cloud storage vendor that was in San Diego that was supposed to be like S3, but for the, for the enterprise. Hmm. Uh, Stephen Foskett worked there. Uh, their name's completely gone. <laughs> but they decided, you know what? This business sucks. We're out of here. And they said, you guys got two weeks. Oh, I remember that. Yes, I do remember that company. I don't remember the name, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry if you got like four petabytes of data here, because that was their thing is they were going to be the large storage vendor. Yep. And sorry if you got four petabytes and, you know, we only got so much bandwidth and everybody else is trying to get off right yeah. now. Luckily someone stepped in and provided some, some sort of took over and migration. But they could have yeah. just, that stuff all could have, right. That can happen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not going to happen to Microsoft per se, but it could, there are, I don't want to malign them any more than I already have recently, but there is a large vendor that completely decided to just abandon a current business line they're not going out of business, but they're like, we're not doing that anymore. And the yep. amount of notice, how much notice did their customers get, Persona? Z zero. Yeah, yep. zero. Sorry, we're down and we're not coming back up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Holy Which, I crap. feel bad for the so customers, right? I yeah. feel bad for the customers. I really do. But the, but the point is, back up your stuff, man. It's your data. No one else anyway, is going to yeah, care so about it if you don't care about it. Yeah. So that's, as we made the transition into the cloud, that's, and that's continuing to be my challenges when I see this really popular app um, that creates data, you know, even if it's just configuration data, that stuff takes time. There's a there's cost yep. to that configuration data, right? Yep. Uh, but I think the final, as I look at, you know, the, these changes that have that I've had to adapt to over the years, the final one is containers. Now, I don't know about final, okay, but the current, <laughs> yeah. current final one. I don't know what's after containers, but this idea that we're going to have an ephemeral <laughs> OS, as I make quotes in yeah. the air. I remember um, talking to you the first time about containers and backup, and you being like, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh!" Yeah, because everything up to this point, right? Literally mm -hmm. everything up to this point has been either put in an agent or talk to an API to back up the thing, whatever the thing is. Now we haven't, we, we have a thing where you can't put agents. Yep. And well, I back that up. And then it yeah. didn't help that the initial response from the, um, from the container community was if you have persistent storage on your container, you're doing it wrong. 
that was the initial response I got. Right now it's so that's the current. That's the current Charlie Foxtrot, (laughs) and it'll get better. But currently, you know, the backup solutions are few and far between. Druva has one of them. Yeah. Yeah. But to, to go back to the question that you asked in the beginning <clears throat> of how do you, you know, how do you keep the up, date, up to date? Yeah. And how do you not freak yeah. out also, right? Who, who says I'm not freaking out? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think some people will get so overwhelmed sometimes, right? They're like, I don't even know, like, how to even take that first step. Yeah, I mean, I would just say one is you need information, right? And Mm -hmm. you need to surround yourself with information as much as you can. That means listening to podcasts like this one. Um, It means reading blogs. It means following Twitter feeds. Um, You know, it means uh, LinkedIn is becoming my favorite, one of my favorite resources lately, right? Follow people on LinkedIn, find out interesting people that are active in threads, right? Um, Don't be afraid to ask questions. I remember, I'll talk about Foskett again, Stephen Foskett, uh, gestaltit.com. And I remember sitting, having a lunch in the middle of Times Square with Stephen Foskett and going, what is the cloud I've been hearing this thing, <laughs> hearing this thing a lot. You gotta be, you gotta be okay asking those stupid questions, right? Be curious. If you're, if you're, if you're not okay doing that, you're not gonna adapt, yeah. right? Um, if you want to go and, <clears throat> you know, if 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 you have a little bit of pride, maybe you go and research. You do a little. Nowadays, you got Google. We didn't have Google. <laughs> didn't have Google. Did you always have Google? Like how long have nope. you been? Nope. Okay. You, you didn't always, always have Google, Google right? Nope. Okay. Back then we had sysadmin magazine, damn it. <laughs> right. We had sysadmin magazine and we had Unix review magazine. You got those and you read those. That was the first, that was the first public, the first thing that ever published me was the sysadmin magazine. Um, you, you just read a lot. Uh, go read it. Reddit's a great yep. resource. It's also a cesspool of BS, <laughs> but it, <laughs> there's some interesting, I was yep. just having an interesting discussion with somebody over, um, you know, backing up 365. It just, just don't, it, it, it can be a vortex of nonsense, <laughs> right? But there's also a lot of good um, articles and other things you can find there are. as well. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would also say is probably like, Go to conferences and talk to people, meet people, meet other what's companies. A, what's a con? Con? con, con, con what you? I've I've conference? heard there's this new thing about that's like virtual <laughs> and hybrid as well for conferences, <laughs> right? I, but, I went to reInvent last month. Sixty thousand people. Druva sent thirty people. Twenty of us went home with either the flu or COVID. Yeah, so much fun. <laughs> So what was that? Tell me again about how great yes. conferences are. There are virtual conferences as well, but there's there are, like resources there are. you can go to to learn about these topics. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I but you you got to find somebody for each topic. Make a friend in that space, right? Yeah. Um, like like you're you're my guy for things cloud right you you know the tech side of the cloud much better than i do and when i you know when i have a when i have a question about something you're you're my guy you need that for everything right i've got some people for security i've got some people for networking get those people and, and and linkedin i think is a great twitter twitter used to be where you could find this kind of thing i don't know it's just LinkedIn, I think, is a better way to find that person. Find a hashtag, see what's going on in the hashtag, follow that person, comment on their stuff, comment. Don't just like it, comment on their stuff, get to know them, you know, follow them, um, connect with them, and they can be your resource, 
right? Yeah. Or um, the other thing I would also say is if you're working in an organization or a company, right, and there are groups who are looking at some of this tech, just kind of poke them, ping them, ask them questions, right? Provide your expertise and say backup or disaster recovery, yeah. right? Ask the questions you normally would do for the other workloads and sort of get them to start thinking because, hey, maybe they haven't started to think about what do I do for backup with containers yeah. or how do I backup What do you mean maybe? Right? They have absolutely not thought about backup. <laughs> yeah. There have been so many new technologies and new ways of doing things and backup has never been discussed. Like it's always been yeah. me raising my hand in a meeting <laughs> going, oh, I'm just curious, like, you know, um, yeah. Crazy, um, crazy. But yeah, you, you've got to continually adapt. There, there are some things you can develop mantras over your, over your time. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, you know, I live in this crazy world where everything of value needs to be backed up. I don't give a crap what you think, right? If your data is, if your data is valuable enough to create in the first place and it's valuable enough to back up. Um, and I do believe strongly in at least the three, two, one rule. If what you're doing for data protection doesn't meet the three, two, one rule, then it's not backup by yep. my definition. So everything needs to be backed up. It needs to be backed up. And if it's not three, two, one, then it's not backup. There are things you can do past that. I don't yep. disagree, you know, like the Veeam's thing of the three, two, one, one, zero. I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying the bare minimum to have at least the three, two, one. Right. And that's yep. why I poke at things like 365 and Salesforce and stuff. Cause they don't, they, yep. they got the three. That's all they got. <laughs> <laughs> they, they got no, they got no two, no one. Crazy. Um, crazy. So here's the 30, 30 down, 30 more to go. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. I, you know, it's funny. I think of, I will be the almost, I'll be a little older than my mother-in-law if I, and she seems really old. I love her, but she seems really old. I don't Yeah, I don't. I don't see me making it to 87, but anyway, by the way, I just had, you know, I just had a birthday, right? So I just yep. had a birthday. So I'm now 57, even if I look much older due to the receding hairline and all the gray uh, and the very gray beard. Um, so it's, it's a mountain of saw with a little bit of pepper. Um, it's all good. Yeah. I don't know about 30, 30 years to go, yeah. but I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. Well, thanks for sharing your experience and advice for our listeners. Thanks. Anytime. <laughs> and to our listeners, thanks for listening. And please remember to subscribe so you can restore it all.